You're listening to The Omni Show, where we connect with the amazing community surrounding the Omni Group's award-winning products. My name's Andrew J. Mason, and today we learn how Zen uses OmniFocus. Welcome to another episode of The Omni Show. My name is Andrew J. Mason, and today we have Zen. He is a full-time artist. His bio says he creates pixels, games, UX, and UI. Some of his more well-known NFT art is Glyphscapes, Xenoverse, and Monster and Friends. He creates NFT art and also happens to use OmniFocus to get stuff done. Zen, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to chat to you. I'm definitely a big productivity nerd. So when your email landed in my inbox, it was, yeah, right up my alley. So thanks again for having me. Nah, the honor's ours. And I uh, was so excited when I was searching online and got your mention of how much you enjoyed using OmniFocus and got to hear some of your audio you know, space talking about uh, NFT work and all the different art that you're able to create. It sounds like such an interesting career. Uh, I, I believe our audience spans all the way from self-proclaimed beginners uh, to, yeah, of course, NFT. I mean, we all know what that is. Uh, do you mind level setting just a few paragraphs around what crypto art is and where you find yourself in that space? Yeah, of course. So I guess one thing just to get out of the way right at the beginning is I know a lot of people have quite a negative connotation of that. And maybe chatting a little bit about it today will help give people a slightly broader view but yeah we'll see so from my perspective i have always been a very computer curious person the very early days of like the internet and everything i was all about trying whatever was new and i kind of learned about crypto art in 2021 kind of like mid 2021 and I just really loved the aesthetic of what I was seeing. And I was very fascinated by the technology behind it as well. And that was kind of like what got me all wrapped up into it. And I think one important distinction to make is a lot of people might be imagining like monkey pictures, like very expensive monkey pictures when I say that. Um, but there's actually like a bit more of an indie art scene behind all of that that I don't think you always see on the forefront and quite a almost like a punk and underground aspect to it as well you know that's been going on for much much longer than you might anticipate like a few years ago you know not it didn't all start in 2021 i think that's just more like when it hit the mainstream of artists experimenting with putting artwork on the blockchain selling their artwork making a living from their artwork and overall just this very like experimental vibe i kind of slot into that a little bit later on like I said sort of late 2021 I released some of my first artwork and minted some of my pixel artwork as NFTs and distributed it to a bunch of collectors for free and people were collecting them having a lot of fun you know a good comparison I guess I would make is to Pokemon cards something I was really big on as a kid opening up a pack and seeing what you get trading them with your friends that was the vibe that I really got from it and I really enjoyed about it people enjoyed this free drop that I did they wanted more and that was kind of it the rest is like I just didn't stop since then I got all these ideas of how I wanted to use programming and algorithms and stuff to generate artwork from my pixel art drop it to lots of people and yeah eventually began making a living from it and kind of built a solid audience of supporters that follow what I do love the pixel art that I create and want to collect more of it 
and just for the pure enjoyment of collecting the artwork as well that's a very important thing for me it's a little bit less on the i mean there's always an element of speculation but it's a little bit less on that side so hopefully i did a decent job of explaining that to people that might not have heard of this kind of thing but i guess the way i would sum it up is a lot of artists make a living from selling a painting but when you create digital artwork there isn't really um equivalent to that right like you can't sell a physical piece of digital art so easily as an original painting whereas if you mint it as an nft the nft is kind of like the original painting and somebody can collect that have a authentic record of it that isn't reliant on one centralized place that will last for as long as the blockchain that it's on lasts and that's a very very cool concept for me bringing like traditional art collection into the digital age i so appreciate you schooling me because honestly this isn't an area that i have any expertise in whatsoever and so getting to hear that laid out in such an accessible way is really interesting mm -hmm. i also find it interesting that it's not as much about the blockchain crypto slice of it as much as it is like there is always this community of artists and this just happens to be the vehicle through which they found their expression. And it, it's just seeming to be a community forming around this space. I make the mistake of focusing solely on the technology and not the actual thing that's happening through that technology as a vehicle. Exactly. Exactly. And we don't all know where it's going to go. You know, it's like maybe maybe this won't last forever. Maybe after a while we'll realize, oh, maybe there isn't so much here, but it's been going for a few years already. And it's just fun to have people experimenting and trying to see like what's next, what else can we use this for? But ultimately at the end of the day, I just found a really, really cool community there of people that, like I said, you know, want to support me as an artist or excited about what I'm making. And that's really, I think, what made me stick around. Anytime you get a community of people surrounding something that becomes more of a movement than the actual thing itself, it's so interesting to see where that leads. Talk to me about any memories you have of the Omni Group or OmniFocus specifically. Do you have any recollection or first bits of like, oh, I remember them as a company or that was the first time that I opened OmniFocus and it, it seemed to, to click for me there? So probably a lot longer ago than I would have initially thought. When I actually saw this question in your notes and thought a little bit more about it, I realized, you know what? I think I used OmniGraffle when I was a kid. So I'm about 30 now. And I was about 10, 11 maybe when I started playing around with digital kind of like creative programs and software like Photoshop and things like that. I would just get, I don't condone this, but I would just get whatever kind of copy I could find <laughs> of a piece of software. You know, at that age, I wasn't <laughs> earning a huge amount of pocket money to buy a copy of Photoshop. And yeah, I would play around and try and learn them. And I think that my dad actually introduced me to OmniGraffle. And I remember having a play around with that. Um, I didn't stick to it, you know, for a particularly long time or anything, but that must be my first introduction to the company's software as a whole. And then later on, when I got my first internship in the games industry, which is where the main like background of my career is, I actually found that the company I was working for used OmniGraffle to create user flows for video game interfaces, which is why I designed. So that was kind of like it coming back again. And I was like, hey, I know this program. So yeah, it was actually OmniGraffle was my first introduction. It wasn't so much later that I eventually dove into using OmniFocus, which is what I use day to day. Thank you for bringing us back there. That's really cool. I was just talking to somebody for a different episode earlier, and they said my first interaction with OmniGraffle was it shipped with our computer. And I'm just like, what is this? 
and getting to mess around with that and think like, gosh, uh, diagramming software, this is cool. Yeah, it goes far back, right? It does. There's some history there. Talk to me about uh, OmniFocus. What sorts of tasks do you use it for? What areas of life, uh, slices of your work? Fill us in on what you use OmniFocus for primarily. Yeah, I would say that I use it for kind of everything. Definitely more heavily on the work side, like the professional art projects, design projects and things. But my regular kind of personal life slots into a little corner of it as well. So basically anything that I need to do each day goes into that. And before I started using OmniFocus, I used a lot of other productivity software as well. And they were all great in their own ways. Just prior to OmniFocus, I was using one called Tweak that's kind of like a very, very, very basic Kanban board style of productivity management. But I'd hit a point where I had quite a lot of freelance projects on the go. I had my personal artwork in in NFTs on the go. I want to develop my own independent video game. I wanted to start broadening my social channels, all of these things that I had in my head that I wanted to manage and plan and make sure I actually hit all of the goals that I was setting for myself. And I thought, I'm going to need the big guns for this, basically. So I did a bit of research. I, like I said, you know, I'd known about OmniFocus before. So I went back to that, compared a few other things and thought, I'm going to give this a go. Might be a bit more complex than what I need, but let's see. And obviously it did work out because I'm, I'm still using it. So yeah, I would say it fits pretty broadly across everything that I do, but mainly I'm using it to manage each different project that I have as a part of my personal and professional life. So I have like all of my, you know, if I have one client, they have their own project in OmniFocus, my personal artwork and each of the projects within that have their own projects in OmniFocus. And then I drill down and manage them more granularly, like, you know, however necessary. That's really cool to get to hear how all-encompassing that that really is for you. Really interesting stuff. And I'd love to hear, too, about what other programs are you using? Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be importing or exporting data from OmniFocus, but like what other software do you use to, to make things happen within the course of your day or what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. I think that OmniFocus probably sits in the center of them. And my Swiss army knife of software is probably Figma and FigJam, Fantastical, the calendar app, and then Obsidian for note-taking, and then obviously OmniFocus alongside those. A couple of those, you know, they don't integrate, like you say, there's no input or output of data between them, but I'll use like FigJam for larger, more visual planning, like brainstorming, like quite high-level planning. Figma I obviously use for actual design work and stuff. Fantastical, probably the one that integrates most directly with OmniFocus because I have calendar events in there, which are then pulled into OmniFocus and will display on my forecast and everything. So I can see, okay, I've got five tasks today, but I've got a meeting at nine and I need to go to the doctors at one or, you know, whatever it is and kind of helps me plan those tasks around it. And I have like recurring events as well that also get pulled into OmniFocus. And then Obsidian for note-taking, like I said, that kind of just exists in its own little thing. There isn't really any integration between them, but it's definitely part of the larger whole. So that's probably my main ones. Notion as well, I'm sure most people have heard of. I use that um, for normally writing longer form content and things. I don't use it so much for planning. I know a lot of people do. But for me, it's more like if I'm going to write an article or like a long Twitter thread or something, I might write it in in Notion. So yeah, that's kind of my toolbox. 
What a great group. This uh, this next question isn't even in my list, but it feels like the right question for right now. So I apologize if there's not a great answer for it. We we can skip and move on. But <laughs> what is the weirdest thing that you ever had to keep track of or use OmniFocus for? Uh, for? I don't know why, but it just feels like a great question to ask. Well, I don't know if this is weird enough, but I did start experimenting with putting like more of my morning routine into it, which I actually did in Fantastical, but it pulls through to OmniFocus. So I made recurring events for just a block that is my morning routine. So it would be like 7am to 8am is morning routine, and then 12 till 1 is lunch, and then 9 till 10 p.m. is the evening routine. And then there's like things like go for a run, go to the gym, walk the dog, you know, everything. And I tried to do this as a way of not overcomplicating, but like on quite a basic level, logging my days so that when I go into OmniFocus and think, right, what have I got this week? Where are these tasks going to fit? When am I going to do them? I try and place them in between those preset blocks. So, you know, okay, this task is going to go between the morning routine and lunch. This one's going to go between lunch and the evening routine. So I don't know. That's not like super strange, but it's probably not how most people use their to-do lists, I guess, because you'd get up and have a coffee. You don't really need to like... Oh, let's check that off. Yeah. Write that down, right? But the reason I did it was actually so I could plan my days in more of a healthy way. Whereas before, you know, the NFT space, I'll say it moves very, very, very fast. You're always working. It's very easy to fall into unhealthy patterns of working too much, burning out. And that was becoming quite a problem for me. So I thought if I give myself these blocks and those are my safe blocks, I don't put tasks into those blocks, maybe it will help me build a slightly more balanced routine. So that was kind of why I did that. And I'm still sticking to it. Most of the time I burn right through the lunch and completely ignore that. And sometimes I do work a little bit too far into that sacred evening routine, but it's definitely helped me be more mindful of it. Yeah. Maybe that's not the strangest answer you were hoping for, but it's what comes to mind. Yeah. Nah, ex excellent answer. And I apologize for the conversation going off the rails from what I had sent you as a structure, but uh, I still feel like it's a great conversation. So you know, you mentioned how OmniFocus was able to help you handle kind of the expanding world that you have of NFTs, your day job, personal stuff. What do you do when you're in that kind of creative visionary space and you've made a list where you see everything in front of you for the world that's expanding in front of you and say, I, I can't really do everything here in a lifetime. How do you handle that tension and decide, OK, this is really what I want to do next? Mm. I would say I'm definitely very prone to that, like overloading what I want to do and the tasks that I give myself. And I think when I realize I'm at that point, there's kind of two sides of it. One side of me goes into crunch mode and just does my best to make it happen, push through it, basically cope with the fact that, okay, this is a little bit too much. I need to get this done and then learn from it and not do this again. The other half of me, maybe slightly more sensible half of me, will start to try and get a little bit ruthless and cut some things, you know, be like, I can't have both of these. One of them's got to go. So I wanted to start a YouTube channel. That's going to have to happen later. You know, I need to focus on this thing and just actually to loop it into OmniFocus. One thing that I quite like to do in that situation is change the project status to paused 
rather than ongoing. And then that kind of gives me this mental well-being of it's there. I'm not going to forget about it. I've written it down. I've got some level of commitment to it, but I can relax knowing that that is in pause mode right now and I'll come back to it later. And if I get really ruthless and I cut it completely, then I can change it to the dropped status. I think it is like that one's gone. Okay. You know, I'm going to, going to cut that loose and let it float away. So partly it's just like I go into overdrive mode if I really, really want to make these happen, or if I've somehow ended up obligated to make them happen. For example, maybe I've taken on too many jobs, too many freelance jobs. I'll just push through, get it done. When it's the more personal creative stuff, like, oh, I'd like to do this. Maybe someday I'd like to do this. Then I just try and reassess the timeline and think, okay, maybe I can't do it now, but I'm going to give myself a maybe like a really high level due date that in October I'm going to make the first step towards this and using some kind of productivity system whether it's OmniFocus or otherwise I think is really helpful with that because you don't deal with this like brain soup of all these ideas floating around right you've like put them into little bowls and one of them is the future bowl and one of them is the today bowl and you can like forget about them and relax knowing that they've been somewhat taken care of. I will absolutely be stealing that phrase, brain soup. That's awesome. <laughs> I also think it's really interesting that you've laid it out so logically and methodically. For me, it's a, a, a tiny bit more emotional process than that. <laughs> it involves some freaking out. Um, but being able to see it kind of laid out in that way is, is really encouraging to me. Talk to me about automation. Is there any automation that you do in your system? Uh, I think something as simple as routines or repeating tasks would check the box. So your morning routines that you mentioned, evening routines, uh, or something as complex as plugins, JavaScript, and uh, just anything that you do that's kind of repeatable or templatable. Even if you do unique work, sometimes you see the same types of work show up for different clients. Uh, just anything in that space for you. Yeah, I think so at first I was actually thinking, eh, not so much, but once you kind of explain the question a little bit more, actually, I realized probably I do use more automation than I thought uh, than I would initially think. One thing is, I think personally, it can be quite easy to over-engineer automation and try and use it too much. And I think possibly to detriment of productivity in my personal case, but I definitely use it here and there. And it's definitely saved me a lot of time. I mean, the obvious one, like you said, is those recurring calendar events that always pop up on my calendar and get fed into OmniFocus. That's probably the most simple use of automation in my workflow. Other than that, it's more of a as and when I will leverage what I can to get something done. So in Photoshop, I would do that quite a lot. I'll make actions for kind of mundane tasks. One that I was doing recently is I had a few hundred pixel art assets and they were created at the original pixel art size was 24 pixels, which is obviously very small. And to share it online, I needed to upscale that to like 768 pixels. So I made a little action that I could just batch drop a folder into and export all of those, you know, so little things like that I use quite a lot. The other thing I did recently in my project Glyphscapes. So just for a little bit of background, Glyphscapes is a large art project that uses what's called long form generative art. So these are actually minted as NFTs, but this concept is not unique to NFTs. It's been going on for a long time where artists, specifically creative coders, will write an algorithm that outputs a visual image based on the algorithm, like a piece of generative artwork. And then you can generate lots and lots and lots of outputs of that. And they all have slightly different appearances and stuff based on a random seed that the algorithm uses. It's a little bit like procedural levels in video games. Anyway, uh, Glyphscapes is one of those projects. And I made 
thousands and thousands and thousands of assets for it. I think I had 11,000 pixel art sprites that went into it in the end. So we're dealing with, yeah, large, large amounts of files and assets. And every time I created a sprite sheet, which is how pixel artists often work, you have a big sprite sheet of all of your sprites. or like, they could be like little characters, little pieces of terrain, stuff like that. And then you slice it up into the small sprites and export them often into a game engine or something like that. I was doing a similar workflow. And when I exported them, I needed them to be in a very specific folder structure so I could pass them on to the programmer that I was working with and he would implement it into JavaScript and into the algorithm and everything. Um, so they needed to be following a very specific convention. And like I said, we're talking about quite a lot of images. If I had had to arrange them all and name them all manually, I would still be working on it today. Um, luckily, I finished it. Um, and the way I did it was I used Hazel. Not sure if you're familiar with that. Probably productivity nerds on, on Mac definitely will be. Hazel is like for automatically cleaning up files and folders on your desktop and things. And then I used an app called Better Finder Rename, which is like a power tool for batch renaming files in Finder, the file explorer on Mac. And I used a conjunction of those two so that whenever I exported my sprite sheet from Photoshop, which I had done with slices, don't know if any web designers from like back in the day remember slices. I don't think we really use them anymore. <laughs> Just to pause for a second, believe it or not, I actually know what you're talking about because I used to open up the sprite sheets in Duke Nukem 3D back in the day. I enjoyed level modding and that is really cool. Yeah, nice. Please continue. I'm so sorry, but the excitement got the best of me because I actually know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. That's a great little kind of tidbit, you know, that, that fits into this. Uh, yeah, so I was using Photoshop slices to export all of my little sprites. And then once they landed in the assets folder, Hazel would pick them up and arrange them into subfolders based on what category. And then I would drag that folder into a better finder rename, which I'd created a droplet from that would rename them using regular expressions and basically just in a few seconds do what would have taken me a few hours. And then every time I made edits to the artwork, so if the programmer generated some outputs and I was like, oh, that color is a little bit off or that there's a mistake here. I need to change like one pixel, re-export the whole thing. Instantly, it would all fit back into the same structure. So very, very long-winded example, but I guess it is a pretty strong example of how I use automation to not necessarily plan and track my tasks, but actually achieve them in a way that I probably wouldn't have been able to achieve them otherwise. This is exactly what I'm talking about. This is perfect because uh, the sequential thinking of doing a job from the beginning to the end, next action thinking comes so naturally for me, but that systemic batch level thinking saying, no, 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 I'm going to do this a thousand times. So how can I develop the process to get it done once the right way and then just repeat that process? That is something that I, I truly do admire. I know that if anybody has a mind that goes in this direction, there is some level of interest or passion for productivity. How do I get the most out of myself so I can do more of the things that show up on the list that I like to do? Where would you say that desire comes from for you to say like, man, I really want to be as productive as I possibly can be in my life? Mm, it's such an interesting question because my instant reaction is, oh, it's got to be built into me. Like, I, I it's is in my blood or something, right? I've always been 
this weird way, I suppose, of very, very focused on organization, productivity, and efficiency, I think. So my background, like I mentioned briefly, is in the games industry, but more specifically in UX and UI design for games. So I'm always thinking about optimization of like the flow of the experience of something, how to remove friction from the player, how to get them to where they want to go in terms of the menus and the interface as smoothly and intuitively as possible. So I kind of have that, like my brain is definitely wired that way to think in in that kind of sense of optimization. But yeah, I mean, like I said, when I was a kid, you know, I was playing around with the software, like digital software. I've just always been quite fascinated with, yeah, like computers specifically and how we can use them to optimize what we do. And I think it just goes hand in hand with quite a naturally organized personality. I suppose another angle of it is I am quite ambitious in my creative and my professional life. You know, I take on a lot of projects. There's a lot that I want to do. You know, like I said, I want to make a game. I want to make a YouTube channel. I want to take this job. I want to take that job. And naturally that can become pretty overwhelming. And the natural response is, well, how can I make this less overwhelming? How can I control it? And that is obviously in how you manage your productivity, how you manage your time, how you can get the most out of this and therefore be most likely to actually achieve those goals as well. If I didn't organize things and I kind of just went day to day, I know I would never do those things because I would just be coasting. I wouldn't have direction. I wouldn't be building the right kind of momentum. So yeah, I suppose to kind of summarize, partly I think it comes from a natural disposition to that kind of thing. Just It's just part of my personality. And then the other side of that is I kind of realized that if I don't do this, I'm not going to achieve the things that I want to achieve and I want to achieve them. So it's about putting systems in place that let me do that. And crucially, not not overdoing it as well, because I've definitely had ups and downs of finding that balance of, okay, I'm like micromanaging this too much to the point where I'm not really using it effectively, or this is too simple and as well, I'm not using it effectively. And it is about finding like, what is the right amount of productivity management for me to get stuff done and not be worrying about it, but not be letting it like slip, you know, at the same time. Well done on presenting the answer in that way, because yes, there is the carrot, there is the stick there. And there also is the tension of, is the system too overblown or is it too loose? And, and, you know, how, how structured do you have to make things in order for you to feel like you're positively challenged in the right direction? I know with that landscape of being passionate about productivity, there's also trying new things saying, hey, this might work for my system. This might give me a lot of return. Is there anything that you would say, I actually would say, don't do that. Something that you've invested some effort in that, you know what, if you were to do your career the way that I did it, I would just skip that slice of it because it didn't turn out as well or give me as much return on investment as I thought maybe it would in terms of productivity. Hmm. That's actually, it's a very difficult question because even the things that maybe weren't the, I mean, it depends if we're talking small scale, like task management or if we're talking big scale like career moves right because i think that high level big things like going to university taking this job finding my way into this industry or whatever those things even if i look back and think ah that wasn't the most optimal use of my time there's just as cliche as it sounds there's always so much learning done 
in those little failures or going down the wrong track that it's hard for me to want to erase them and do it a different way because I definitely came out of it learning from it. So it's hard to it's hard to say like would I do that again? Would I not do that again? And also maybe I'm just been quite fortunate in the direction that I've taken myself in in that I don't feel super strongly that I went completely off the rails at any point. I mean, I went backwards and forwards a bit. Like I started out my career doing freelance bits of graphic design when I was quite young. And then I decided to go to university to study graphic design so I could be like a more robust designer. Uh, I dropped out after like one year and just went and got a job instead. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I don't know if this is the best use of however much money it costs to study in England, which is quite a lot. And then the time as well, like, you know, when I already had a little bit of experience in graphic design, I thought ah, I can just go, I can just do this on my own sort of thing. So I've, I've like slightly gone down the wrong track and then backpedaled and done different things. But yeah, you know, all of those experiences were still useful. I guess I did come out of it with a little bit more student debt than I needed to, but, um, you know, <laughs> it's, it's not so bad. So yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. Like big scale, I would say, honestly, no, I don't think so. I just follow my path constantly kind of evaluate the path that I'm on, try not to fall into that common sunken cost fallacy where you think, well, I've already done one year of university. I might as well stick it out for the last two. No, I just dropped out and learned from it and did something else. And maybe that's the lesson there is like, if you feel like you're on the wrong track, just get off it. Don't feel like you have to follow it through. That's a really good perspective because, you know, bad choice, good choice, it maybe is is even the wrong way to frame that because you are where you are and we're having this conversation. So, yeah, I suppose small scale, you know, if we want to talk more of like the day to day things like the not so big decisions in life, there are definitely a lot of task management systems that I've tried to implement and I would consider to be a failure and I've abandoned. And I think the biggest thing for me, the biggest learning for me, and this might be relevant to the audience, especially if they're you know listening to a podcast like this, is overcomplicating that task management and going too far into rabbit holes of watching like YouTube videos of how other people use it, which I definitely think you should do, but don't feel like what works for them will definitely work for you. Like when I first started using OmniFocus, I was like, okay, whole new program. Don't know anything about like how to use it. I'm going to go and see how other people use it and try and copy them and see what works for me. And I watched a lot of videos of like, this is how I use OmniFocus. This is how I use OmniFocus, blah, blah, blah. And found that people would say things like, don't use due dates do this don't do that right and i actually really like i'm like a religious due date user so i think do your research but take your own conclusions from it and don't overcomplicate it i watched one video where somebody had this amazingly granular task management system for herself and it was quite impressive and for her it seemed to work amazingly and i kind of watched this video and thought no, that's not going to work for me. <laughs> that's that's too much, right? I'm going to spend so long managing my task management that I'm never going to do any tasks. So yeah, long story short, takeaway I think is observe how other people do things, but remember that what works for them might not work for you. And personally, I think the biggest downfall that makes you abandon this kind of thing and not hit the productivity goals that you want to hit is probably overcomplicating things or trying to fit yourself into a system that you are just not designed for or that doesn't work well with your brain. So I think start really, really, really simple 
find like the most minimal baseline and then if you hit a snag start adding to it like if you don't use due dates but you feel like you're missing tasks and you're missing deadlines start using due dates you know gradually add to things yeah raising my hand on that one guilty as charged uh as guilty as the next person (laughs) i want folks to see your art if people are interested in finding out more about you or what you're doing or see some of the artwork that you've created uh, how would you suggest they do that yeah of course so the easiest way is probably either twitter slash x or my website so my twitter username is actually xenom unfortunately xeno was taken uh so that's Z-E-N, the number zero, and then an M. That's my Twitter, or X, I should say. And then there's also my website. Thankfully, I could get Zeno for my domain name. So that is Zeno.art. So it's Z-E-N, and then a zero, dot art. And you can see my, there's like a little bit of an overview of my various art collections on there. You can browse them on NFT marketplaces if you're curious what that kind of thing looks like. There's also, I actually have a merch store as well where you can buy like desk mats and hats and things like that with my pixel art on. And yeah, that's kind of like where the biggest overview of all of my stuff will be. I'll also say that my inboxes are always open as well. Like if anybody wants to send me a DM and chat more about how I manage things, how I organize things, or on the other side of things, if you're curious about how art works on the blockchain or uh, just about pixel art in general as well love talking about all that kind of thing. So yeah, that's the best way to find me. Sam, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, Excited to have come across your work and really excited to see where this community takes you. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was awesome to chat to you. Love any opportunity to get a little bit nerdy about organizations. So like I said, when, when your email landed in my inbox, it was, I was like, Yep, this was made for me. So (laughs) very happy to be here. Thank you. Hey, and thank all of you for listening today, too. You can find us on Mastodon at The Omni Show at Omnigroup.com. You can also find out everything that's happening with The Omni Group at Omnigroup.com slash blog. (laughs) 